Rahul is still striking under 140. And this is in addition to a pretty substantial 100 350s he's made. So he's got a lot of slow starts and there's going to be pressure on him to change his game style. I don't know how well that's going to work out for him. I'm not convinced it will. Hey, there's a lot of pressure. Overrated. Come on. Uh, win percentage is not. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, Hey everyone, welcome to the third Silly Points podcast. I'm here with Rishi, Lakshya, Dinesh, and our debutante, Akash. And we're going to be talking about the IPL matches as usual, um, CSK versus SRH and DC versus RR. And we'll be making our playoff predictions, the top 14. And we'll be also giving a prediction on the orange cap and purple cap at the end of the tournament. And be wrapping up the podcast with our South Africa test captain, along with the 2021 World T20 in India um, predictions. We'll just get started. Um, Hope you guys enjoy. Starting immediately with the CSK versus SRH match, um, big news. Uh, Lakshia predicted last match or last podcast that Sam Curran would be opening and um, that would really benefit CSK as a whole. Yeah, he got 31 off 21 moles and he played really well. Um, thoughts, guys? Honestly, I'm not quite sure what took them so long to make this move. We've seen for quite a few years that CSK's strategy is to take it as deep as possible, and that involves weighing anchor at the start. But I tend to think that strategy is actually a little bit riskier because let's say that you've gone to 8 off of 10 or 8 off of 15 balls, and then you get out. You've taken up a lot of balls. Uh, The benefit you've had of playing yourself in has evaporated, and you haven't really made up the runs for your team, and everyone else has less balls to go with. That's why I think in T20 cricket, you at least want one player who goes up and starts with an explosive style of play, and that takes the pressure off everyone else and allows them to play themselves in if they want to, to accelerate later at the death. And that's what Sam Curran does so well. He strikes the ball at above 170 in the IPL, one of the most explosive batsmen in the game. And he makes solid contact. If you look at the way he bats, he gets in a proper position, uses his hips in an explosive manner to launch the ball over mid-wicket. In grounds like the UAE, he seems exceptionally good at taking advantage of where the short boundaries are on the ground. And I think Sam Curran is, honestly, as Dhoni said, a complete cricketer. And it, it just makes me wonder why they waited so long to use him in a role that we know he's been successful in for Punjab last season. It does feel like there's some reticence on on the part of a lot of teams to get rid of that anchor role. Um, and I do think that conventional wisdom is is somewhat being called into question here. And if it's not, then it probably should be. And if you look at the current orange cap holder, right, it's Kale Rahul at the top for Kings London Punjab and Mayank Agarwal taking up second place. Um, despite the, the incredible batting performance they've had at the top, they're sitting in dead last with Rahul striking under 140 despite having accumulated nearly 400 runs at this point. And you're absolutely right that runs don't really matter if you're putting pressure on the rest of your lineup to accelerate. There's a certain point at which if you're the set player but you're not making a move to accelerate, it's going to hurt your team. Um, and and I do feel like, as I said, the, the conventional wisdom has been that this anchor role is valuable, but is there a point at which it's actually hurting the team to be anchoring instead of making your quick fire 30 off 18 and getting out? Yeah, I think that I totally agree. Like, if you look at the CSK scorecard, um, they utilized all of their batting resources to the max. They uh, they bat down to number seven, and everyone got a bat. In previous games, I think um, you would have Jadeja, Curran, and Bravo not really getting a hit. And instead, you have players like Raidu and Watson striking at around 120 to 130. But here, everyone batted to their full potential, and they used up all of their resources, which I think is really key in posting a competitive total. I do agree with you guys about the conventional wisdom has to sometimes be thrown out the window. 
but I still think choosing the correct batsman to do this, this pinch hitter striking role at the top is important. We've seen when KKR, when they started doing this with Sunil Narayan, it was very successful at the start. In 2017, he, he came out, hit the fastest 50. But now three years later, they've, they've dumped the role for Sunil Narayan midway in the tournament. He's failed m- miserably at it, simply because he has one very easy weakness that every, every team can target. He struggles against short pitch fast bowling. And which is one of the things, if you're an opening, if you start opening all the time, instead of batting at eight, nine, like most bowlers do, your weaknesses are going to come out uh, a lot quicker than it would normally. Sam Curran, this is only his second time, I think, opening. He only did it once for Kings 11, which he did well. He hit a 50, I believe, in that game. So at the moment, while it, while it might work, I think it's still too early. Sam Curran might have some technical weakness that might get exposed soon. So it's important. Yeah. To know, know that because I know none of us are really big fans of Sunarine opening the batting when you have uh when you have an actual proper batsman Raul Tripathi batting at seven, and even last year they were had Shubman Gill batting six seven while Narine is batting at while Narine is opening. So I think it's important that we don't get carried away with what Curran did today, especially CSK. Even though I definitely agree, like having Curran over Umberly VJ is way better, a way better option. But if you can get a proper batsman opener who can could do the same role while also consistently scoring 50s as well i'd look at that option over so i agree with you but i also think that a couple things need to be brought into mind here one is that if you are going to send someone like sam curran up to open you need to send another batsman that complements his strengths for example we know sam curran isn't really the best with a short ball we've seen it he doesn't really uh middle the ball as much as he should with a short ball so much as he swings properly and that allows the ball to carry a long way on short boundaries. Um, it, so to counter that, you might want to send a batsman with him who's exceptional at facing the short ball so that you can't just hone in on a single player. And that way it's easy for him to get off strike and someone else to accelerate. But more to the general point of having proper batsmen at the top so that they don't just have one exploitable weakness. My point isn't really so much about who CSK send up to open the batting so much as you can't have your openers, no matter who they are, taking up 30 to 40 balls and only scoring 50-odd runs. It it just doesn't work anymore. You've got to have them scoring a little bit faster. If you're good batsmen, then good. Take advantage of the fact that you're good batsmen and score quicker. Trust the rest of your lineup to do their job. They're paid millions of dollars for a reason for this, right? You've got to trust the rest of your lineup to be able to accelerate and know that if you get out, that they can pick up the slack. This is the point of the team ethos. And if you're playing just to play yourself in and then accelerate it, that works sometimes. But as we've seen with Punjab, it backfires pretty spectacularly at times. Yeah, and CSK also bat quite deep. Like even um, Stalker can hit a, hit the long ball. So um, I really see no reason for them pers- uh, persisting with opening with um, Watson and Vijay for so long, or even those two matches. Yeah. So I think my point. takeaway may be slightly different here. And I, I think um, that what is common between this and common between um, Naren's failures at the top of the order this season is that the value of being able to adapt to conditions and be able to change the game plan on a dime cannot be understated, uh, particularly in the IPL, but in general in T20 cricket when you have this caliber of players involved. Sending Sam Curran to open while actually you did call that that was going to happen, if it starts to become an expected thing, the same thing may happen that happened with Naren that he's going to have a technical weakness exposed and teams will come up with a plan to combat it. And suddenly he's eating up balls at the top of the order again. It's really, really important that 
a team, especially like the Super Kings, that we know they like to pick their group of players, invest in them and have confidence in them and rely on team synergy. But it is also important that they learn to adapt their game plans. And I'm hopeful that this, this means like they have seen a potential weakness and are willing to surprise the opposition. The importance of that, I don't think can be understated. Yeah. So at what point do you think it's okay to have an anchor come in? So say Sam Kern falls for like 10, 10 runs, would it be okay for Shane Watson to come in and still play his normal game of seeing out 40 balls for only 50 runs? Is that okay? Or do you need another aggressor role? And having like, it's just a question of when you bring in the anchor. And I just wanted to know what you guys think. I don't think, I don't think that's how Shane Watson, the expect, expectation of Shane Watson is that he's not an anchor. He's supposed to be a, one of those aggressive, of yeah. one of the most powerful hitters in the game. It's just, at this point, he, he is. Though. He hasn't played. He hasn't played cricket in a while. Obviously, he's an retired international player, so I think mm-hmm. he's just struggling at the start to get in tune, especially after a, a six-month break of quarantine. But now, I think we're seeing his best form, especially in that when he and Duplessis had that ten-wicket victory against Punjab, and he's put a couple more cameos afterwards. So I think Shane Watson is just. I wouldn't look at him as an anchor. I just look at him as one of CSK's main batsmen who needs to still play. I'd be doing. I'd be going Shane Watson and Curran and Duplessis at three, because obviously Duplessis is Duplessis doesn't open for South Africa. He only opens in CSK, so he has experience playing uh, at the top middle order for his. Country. So then, do you do you agree with RR's tactic of bringing in Stokes and Butler to open? Because Stokes is not never has been an opener for any team, and do you just agree with that idea? Um, I think it has been proven in the couple of games that we've seen, but I just yeah. It's that's more. I think that more to do with the fact that RR doesn't have an, another opening option that they could fit in while trying to fit in three three top order foreign players. R is pretty. R it's pretty clear that their four international pl- players are going to be Stokes, Archer, right. Smith, and Butler. And mm-hmm. Butler obviously Butler has to open. He that ever since they moved him to opening in, yeah. in 2018, it was an absolute revelation. So he's always going to open and Steve Smith is. Uh, Getting Steve Smith as high as possible is is extremely important because that's how that's when he plays best. So they want to keep and but he got a couple of failures opening, so I, I guess they want to try Stokes now. I I'd be honestly I'd be going, I'd be taking either Utapa or Jeshwal at the top, and then having opening with Butler and then Smith Stokes and then you have your Parag Tawatia. Um, Samson's also yeah, there, I mean, right? I mean, I, and, I mean, he, he has proven. I forgot. Yeah, but he has the ability to open, and he has proven himself even even in this tournament. So, I was thinking, in this case, wouldn't you rather have a Butler and Samson opening with Smith, and then Stokes coming in after Smith? Yeah, um, yeah, better. Actually, that's, that sounds better. I just forgot about Samson. Yeah, I, I would do that actually. Yeah, yeah. Samson get fully focused on his batting. He's not keeping either. Right. Exactly. I think if you're going to play Robin at the in the in the eleven and you're not batting him in the top three, then you're clearly wasting the place where he performs the best. And it's not as though Stokes is an X factor batsman in the IPL. He averages twenty two, twenty three across his IPL career, and that's been pretty consistent across seasons. So he's not an average of twenty two and a strike rate of one hundred and thirty is nothing bad, but it is not enough, in my opinion, to warrant disrupting what is an extremely powerful top order. Given the 11 that they played in this last match, if you were batting uh, the button Butler to open, Samson at three, Smith at four, and Stokes coming in at five, in my opinion, that looks a lot stronger. It does, but it worked today. So I don't, uh, Stokes worked today, so I don't think they'll be changing that. Thing with RR that I just can't help 
but notice is that unless their overseas players really start firing, this team isn't going anywhere. They're so heavily dependent on it. And yeah, you can put Jaiswell at the top and Stokes at number five, but that doesn't change the fact that you're going to need more runs from Steve Smith and you might even need some more runs from Joss Butler. Butler's been doing better of late, of course. We saw him get the 50, 70 odd uh, in the game before this one. We saw him get a quick fire 22 here, but Smith has had five single digit scores in his last six innings. You need better from your captain. You need better from an o- from from your overseas player, your star overseas player, and until that gets fixed, I don't think RR have the batting depth to overcome their failures. You know, the nice thing with the nice thing with bowling overseas options is that let's say one of them doesn't come off. Generally, you've got your all-rounders elsewhere in the order that can make up the difference and all of that. But if one of your batsmen doesn't come off, that's the only thing they're there for. So how are they going to make that up? And that's why I wonder, where should Steve Smith be batting to get the most out of him to maybe return him to form? Because I'm not quite sure that number two or three is working for him right now. Should he go back Should he go back to opening or should he end up dropping down one spot maybe to number four and playing more against spinners? Well, here's the crux of the problem to me, right, is you, you cannot schedule it to continue with the Steve Smith question. You cannot play Steve Smith in the batting order purely to maximize Steve Smith. You need to maximize the people he's playing with as well. In my opinion, he's a capable enough player that he can go off anywhere in the order. Obviously, some locations are better suited than others to him. But in my opinion, by having him open the batting, you are doing a disservice to the Indian core of the team that really, really perform a lot better in the top three, that being Samson and Metapa, right? The way they stacked this lineup in this chase makes it look like they're batting three batsmen because Samson at four and about five just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You, you make the swaps we were talking about earlier and suddenly you've got a very capable top six. It's, it's really about the flexible players should be going. Obviously you want to maximize Steve Smith's output, Ben Stokes's output, but you need to be maximizing the team as a whole. Cause as you pointed out, there are going to be games where your star player just doesn't go off and you need to make sure your remaining players are in the best possible position to maximize their output and save your, save your ass when it happens. They shouldn't be relying on Prague and Tuati to win them games. That's, that's to be fair, completely fair, honest. Mm-hmm. Tuati has already won them two games with a bat, which I don't think is what his role is supposed to be. It's just, it's, it's bonus. Obviously it's great. It makes her great viewing, but I are yeah. have two extra wins that they might be like, we got and got away with batting failures there. Yeah. yeah, and I also want to point out that um, talking about again throwing away conventional wisdom about the role of the anchor, I'm not convinced that Ben Stokes' opening worked out. He hit 41 at a strike rate of under 120. While you're chasing 160, that's not really worth it. If he's going to play that role, he shouldn't be playing it as an opener. But when he got when he things that Stokes got out, the Ricardo was around eight, so it's not like. That's nothing. That's not something that teams are like. Oh, eight runs and over. Oh, that's scary. That's a scary thought. No, that's a good point. So like, that's I think I think he played pretty well. I uh, obviously it would have been better for him if he kicked on, hit a couple more boundaries. But yeah. I think they yeah. they needed better from the middle order to finish finish that game off. Yeah. I, I would just I would just hesitate looking at the number of runs to purely say that it worked. But I wouldn't put any blame on the loss for him. That was just ridiculous batting in the middle order. Ridiculous. Oh, running between the weekends, I mean, you, brilliant, brilliant from Delhi again. Exactly, you you have to you have to really credit the bowling lineup from yeah. Delhi, um, like Rabada bowling wonderfully, Akshar Patel doing really well as well. Again, really coming into shape, and um, the dark horse in all of this, Norkia, um, he's been bowling extremely well. His first over to um, Butler went for a lot of runs, but he pick, he picked up the key wicket 
um, sending Butler off for 22 off nine. But um, yeah, I know you guys had some comments to make about Norkia. Yeah, Nor- Norkia was actually the big Nor- surprise for me because I I knew I knew basically knew him for his some home summer for South Africa. He had a great season with the Red Bull. Obviously, mm-hmm. he one was one of South Africa's revelations. I was a bit when I saw him in, in the IPL, I was like, oh, he'll probably be a fringe player who wouldn't get too many um, too many chances. I thought Delhi would go with Sunday Bomashin over him for that fourth overseas slot, but they took him in first game and he's been extremely. He's been a great partner from Rabada. Both of them have been bowling quick. They've been getting crucial wickets. Rabada's doing what Rabada always does. Gets wickets, death, new ball, middle overs. And Nokia's backing up well. He's hitting, and he's he's making the speed gun dance. He was hitting 156, 157 today. He's bowling 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 around 155. So, yeah, I think he's been a absolute dark horse for, for Delhi. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think I severely underrated him at the start for two reasons. One, he wasn't even in the auction originally. I believe he's the replacement for Chris Wokes when Wokes dropped out to focus on, on his red ball summer. Yeah. And two, I'd never really seen him play white ball cricket. I obviously knew of his red ball reputation. And, you know, even in the longest format, the guy had incredible stamina and was able to keep his pace up and accuracy and bounce, you know, all the fast bowling buzzwords. Um, but with... Only four overs to bowl here. He's been, obviously, like you said, when Robata's not the fastest bowler in your team, that in itself is something to pay attention to. And the fact that they could squeeze two hours, two overs out of him in the power play, you're, you're freeing up Robata to go 15, 17, 19, which is back-breaking for any team to deal with. I think we have to give credit to... Uh... To Ricky Ponning, Shreya Sire for picking him. Because he's only played three T20s for South Africa. He's only played seven one days for, for them as well. So credit to them for picking for picking not an international superstar, but picking someone they believe with talent and could fulfill a role for their team. Speaking of Ricky Ponting and um, Ravi Ashwin as well, he sent out a tweet about um, like as a warning to all the batsmen at non-strikers end for the, obviously the Moncad situation. But, um, yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on which side you're on, if you agree with Ricky Ponting or you're more on the side of Ashwin. I've got to say I'm with Ashwin here. I think, you know, this entire notion of not monkutting the batsman is rooted in a lot of tradition, sure. But we've seen, especially with the advent of technology, that these half yard, this extra yard that the batsman gets – by leaving the crease before the ball is bowled can really matter. We've seen it in countless IPL matches this year where runouts are decided by the matter of inches. We've seen it in the World Cup Super Over where Martin Guptill, if he had maybe had a bigger head start, might have been able to make it in and win New Zealand the World Cup. So honestly speaking, I think Ashwin has every right to run the batsman out at the non-strikers end. And I think the bowler in general has every right to monk out the non-striker. If you don't want to be monk don't leave your crease. It's that simple because I don't think that it's fair that the batsman gets an unfair advantage of leaving the crease and getting a yard or two of headway and running. And then the bowler is not allowed to run him out. And therefore the batsman has to run one yard less. And that could get the team a few extra runs during the game itself, during the innings. And that could also decide the match. Not, not only does it decide runouts, but the extra runs that you get would end up deciding matches as well. So I've seen the suggestions that he has, you know, uh, bowlers should get a free ball if the batsman leaves the crease, etc. I've seen what batsmen say, oh, you shouldn't monk out, you should just warn. I think all of that is a bunch of baloney. 
simple. For the bowler, if you don't want the batsman leaving his crease early, run him out. And for the batsman, if you don't want to get dismissed without actually even facing a ball, if you don't want to get monk gutted, don't leave your crease. It's that simple. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that one. I think um, cricket needs to be open to change. The game has evolved so much in recent time. And with the advent of T20 especially, the margins are just so fine nowadays. Um, I think recently, Kohli and KL Rahul were on social media talking about having DRS reviews for wides and no balls. Because we've seen how, um, you know, an incorrect no ball call or a missed wide call on the part of the umpires can have massive effects on these matches that have such fine margins. So I think if people are even uh, pushing for reviews on wides and no balls, there's really no way you can say that, oh, one extra stolen yard is not going to have an impact on the game because it does. And like Ashwin has said multiple times before, uh, that extra, the one run that's facilitated by that extra yard uh, of head start really can lead to a new batsman being on strike. And it can really change your matchups. It can provide massive scoring opportunities for the opposition team as well. So I think it really is a big deal uh, for the batsman to be stealing that one yard. And I think bowlers should have total freedom to do whatever they want uh, to rectify that. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And also, I refuse to believe that Ricky Ponting would not have, when he was captain, that he would not uh, monk out other, another team or keep that appeal. We've seen how he plays cricket. I refuse to believe that he's against it now, now that he's eight years into retirement. Ricky Ponting clearly advocated, it's always the umpire's decision, never walk, aggressive appealing, claiming catches. I'm big fan of Ricky Ponting, but I refuse to believe he, he would not. He was uh, furious at Adam Gilchrist for walking in that one World Cup match. I mean, the yeah, fact re- that he would refuse to monk on someone is beggar's belief. Yeah, I know he's a batsman, so maybe that's – he's uh, there's a little bit of bias there because it's just an extra way to get out. But, nah, if he was captain and one of his boys did it, he'd tell the batsman to go back to the pavilion. He wouldn't even be having a conversation. Probably in many more unpleasant terms too. <laughs> yeah, and that, that I mean that and those are the type of captains that win you win cricket matches, and that's what Ricky Ponting is. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, we saw this summer as well. Akash mentioned this briefly. Um, that third umpire was the one giving out no balls. They uh, started trying that out, right? Um, I personally think it's it's definitely better because it's more accurate, first of all, but it also takes pressure off of the umpire, and he can focus on the actual ball. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's better in that sense. The front foot, no balls to be specific. Yeah. And I was reading about this and the reason that umpires are oftentimes missing these front foot, no balls is because in high pace games, like in the T20 format, the balls are coming back at the umpire pretty quick. If the batsman decides to hit down the ground and it's really tough to be looking all the way down at the line and then quickly shift your field of view right back up to the batsman. And then also be prepared to take evasive action later. So, um, you know, the game is changing, and I think, you know, the, we need to really adapt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's move on to our playoff predictions. Uh, top four teams, and then uh, we can just rotate and talk about that, and then uh, we can go from there. Okay, I can go first. Uh, I think at the moment, Delhi are looking the best in this tournament. So I, I have them uh, getting that first playoff spot. I think Mumbai Indians and RC will, get the, will be fighting for second place, grinding into the top two. And for the fourth spot, uh, it's a it's going to be between KKR and SRH mainly, and I have S I have SRH taking it all the way. Uh, at the moment, Delhi looks to be not only the most balanced team, but I said I, I Mumbai Indians is probably the most balanced team that has covered all the positions. But Delhi seems to have the most informed players, 
they can always count on one of two out of three to four of their Indian batsmen always hitting 50 plus and carrying their innings through. They have a, one of the best Indian wicket keepers in Rishabh Pant, and they have a very good backup in Alex Carey. And their spin attack and their pace attack is over overperforming their expectations set upon them. Rabada has been Rabada as always, but as we already discussed earlier, Norhe has been an absolute revelation. Akshar Patel and Ashwin are doing extremely well as well. And even their fifth boys, they seem to be picking Harsha Patel. Today, we saw Tushar Deshpande come into his own. They seem to be performing very well. And let's not forget, they also have Sandeep Lamashin still on the bench. They also have a prominent leggy. So I think uh, I think Delhi definitely uh, are looking the favorite so far. Mumbai Indians are just Mumbai Indians. They have all bases covered. Doesn't seem to have any weakness in that team. I can't see them not making the playoffs. RCB just, I feel like RCB is just two, three wins away from directly qualifying for the playoffs. I was checking today, actually. 16 points usually guarantees you a playoff spot. Seems to have guaranteed the playoff spot almost every year in the IPL. So Delhi is two wins away, away from that, and RCB and Mumbai are three wins away. RCB has seemed to be making much smarter selections this year, bringing in Chris Morris, using Chahal and Zampa, using Sundar in the power play. Uh, so And knowing that bowling has always been their weakness, they seem to have really figured that out. Sundar and Chahal have been absolutely brilliant, so has Morris. And so I, I see RC being able to qualify for the playoffs very easily. And then I think the Rajasthan, CSK, Kings 11, I don't see them really standing a chance left in this tournament. CSK might be able to pull some sort of comeback now that they've kind of fixed their batting order and their spin attack is starting to really come into play with the pitches starting to get a lot slower. However, I still think Sunrisers uh, will probably get that fourth spot, mainly because mainly because David Warner, Johnny Bairstow, Kane Wilson, they all are in form right now. All their overseas players are playing well. Rashid Khan is still proving impossible to score off in the middle overs. And as long as they keep the Indian fast bowlers working, which Sandeep Sharma is definitely bowling well because they need a good replacement for their spearhead, Bowie, who is injured, I think Sunrisers should do fine. KKR does not know their batting order. They keep... They'll have one guy opening one game. They'll have that same guy opening set, batting at seven next game. And I think management decisions are going to cost KKR again this season, just like it did last season. See, I'm with you on being a bit skeptical of KKR, but I think the thing that separates KKR and SRH for me right now is that I think SRH has better bowling, period. That said... Is Rashid Khan's last two games just a blip on the radar, or is this something more serious? Have teams figured out how to attack him, or is he going to go back to that world-beating player that we saw the last few years in the first six games of the tournament? I think a lot of it hinges on that, because as Rashid goes, so do Sunrisers go. And you say they'll get Bhuvi back, but we've seen in the past that Bhuvneshwar really has struggled with injuries, and no one can really predict when he returns. So I'm He's not, not coming back. He's not yeah. coming back. Yeah. Yeah. He's in, he's out. Yeah. So assuming he's out, then it becomes a little bit harder for SRH too because their bowling is good. It's a very solid attack, but I'm still not quite sold that this team... Firstly, I don't think this team has a depth to compete with Mumbai or Delhi. I think if everything clicks for them, they have a chance of playing against anyone, but it hasn't really clicked all that well in this tournament so far what's the basis on believing that it will in the future? And I think more to the point, if we're talking about playoff teams, 
The one that looks the best to me at this moment is Mumbai. I don't see a single weakness in the squad right now as constructed. I mean, sure, maybe you can nitpick about Surya Kumar Yadav and Ishan Kishan's exact batting positions, but that's really grasping at straws here. This team is as close to an ideal T20 team as you can get right now with all of its players in current forms. You've got good batsmen at the top in Dekok and Rohit. You've got Surya Kumar Yadav and Ishan Kishan being excellent Indian players in the upper middle order that can accelerate quickly or play the anchor role. And then you've got three of the most devastating hitters in the game in Hardik Pandya, Garen Pollard, and Krunal Pandya. And what Mumbai do better than any other T20 team is that they leverage their all-rounders so well. And because of that, they get three or four extra players, which basically means that you're really fighting the tide whenever you try to play them. You've got to take multiple players out of the attack. If one gets hit out of the attack, the other just comes in and he usually has a good day. So, Yeah, and let's I not forget, Mumbai. Hardik Pandya is not bowling yet. Exactly. Exactly. And he will be soon. So I see Mumbai finishing as the top spot because I think Delhi is a bit more reliant on their star players and they're more prone to slumps in form. So I have to pick Mumbai. I think Delhi I would have going second. I'd have RCB going third. And then I think the fourth spot will come down to a dogfight between KKR and SRH. And I, I think I have KKR going just because Russell hasn't really clicked yet with the bat. And if Russell clicks... It's an entirely different game altogether. The fact that they're even in this without Russell playing that well is a testament to the fact that they've pulled off victories through the weirdest of scenarios, and every point matters. Now, now the question is, has Russell not clicked, or have teams figured out how to bowl to him? Because it is clear from several of these games that the plan has been don't let it get into his arc. right? Keep it wide, make him him go after the ball. And it, it has worked to some extent. So I'm not convinced that it is a question of when Russell clicks so much as our team's going to continue to be disciplined against the Russell threat. Russell's been one of the players who's played the most in world cricket of late coming out of the CPL. It's not as though teams haven't had time to prepare for this threat. And in the last two IPLs, he's shown exactly what he's capable of. My gut feeling is that Russell's going to have a couple good innings, but teams have figured out how to combat the threat. Maybe not to the same extent that they could combat Narayan because Russell doesn't have the same technical weaknesses but they have plans against him. And that's why I'm not even sure that I'm picking KKR for the playoffs here. Sorry, go ahead, Rishi. No, I don't think Russell has, like, technical weaknesses. I think it's his head. Like, he's not – He's not. last season, everything was just coming off for him. He always went in with 15, 16 run, required run rates, and he whatever he was swinging at, it was going. But this is cricket. This is not uh, – you can't just keep swinging and hoping it works for you. Every dismissal of his has basically been him just swinging – wildly at the bat if he gives himself a little bit of time play some disciplined cricket shots and then goes after then becomes a muscle russell we know then i think he'll start scoring some runs but until he fixes his head he's not doing anything with the bat we saw it in the world cup after the ipo everyone thought oh this will give west indies a huge advantage after this crazy ipo he had and then we saw he slogging those international quality bowlers just doesn't work and now teams are just going to bowl their fastest bowler bowl short at him bowl quick at him and you can't just keep slogging those for six. It doesn't work. It worked for a season, but until he becomes more disciplined, I don't see him scoring runs. Yep. And so I, th- I think my my top three is, is pretty clear-cut. I'm not going too far off here. I like Delhi a little bit more than Mumbai now on current form on strength of batting lineup. So Delhi, I have finishing in first. Mumbai in a close second. Bangalore probably in third. Um, because I, I really feel like Bangalore's bowling has come together, it, which is interesting because a lot of the attack is exactly the same as it's been in seasons past. I think Chris Morris has really added a lot to the team composition. Um, he improves the depth bowling. He gives the batting some more depth. 
De Villiers has been, you know, maybe not his most potent self, but pretty close to it. Um, Podical at the top has been fantastic. Um, so RCB, I think, have a really, really good chance of making the semifinals here. And I'm actually going to go, I think, in reality, you, you have three teams that are viable for the fourth spot. I, I don't think Chennai sorted out enough to really be able to get there. We can't judge on the back of that one game. The only player who's regularly, and the only players who regularly fired for them are Faf and Sam Curran. Um, and I, I think they're really relying on those two to be able to put up a decent total or to get a chase off to a good start. Um, that over-reliance does not bode well for me. So I think KKR is a reasonable shot. Uh, Sunrisers, I think, uh, have done better than I expected them to lately after taking some depth out of their bowling. Um, I wasn't sold on adding Kane Williamson in. It does appear to have helped. Um, but I, I still don't know if their bowling can take them all the way. That's the thing I'm hesitant about. Had a couple of good games. I don't know if they'll go all the way. Um, I actually think Rajasthan, if they can sort out what they want to do with their batting lineup, are potentially the most potent team left in that bottom five. Mathematically, they're certainly not out. Um, but I think they really, as I was saying earlier, have to sort out what they want to do with their batting lineup. Need to make sure that they're maximizing not only their four-star players, but maximizing the entire lineup, which has plenty of T20 experience and talent between them. Uh, it's not as though they only have these four batsmen at the top. They have a pretty solid lineup they can leverage if they play to everyone's strengths. So I think, as, uh, assuming they can sort that out within the next week, really, um, they have a really good shot at being that fourth team and, and almost winning out from here. Because you can't deny Archer's been on song. Butler's showing glimpses of what he's capable of. Smith had a good couple of early games. Samson, obviously, we've seen him be pretty destructive. So uh, the form is there. The talent is there. And I'm going to go out on a limb and pick them for number four. Uh, I'd like to agree with Go ahead. I'd just say to our viewers, just a, just a heads up. At the moment, all eight IPL teams still mathematically stand a chance of qualifying for the playoffs, even Kings 11, even though they're at last. I would just like to bring that up. But, uh, but Kings 11 probably need to win all the remaining games to stand a chance, while the KKR, SRH, Rajasthan needs to – they can only afford one to two losses now with around six to seven games after the season. Nice. Um, yeah, I actually agree with the nation. This, um, except for the first two, I'd put MI over DC. Um, I think consistency will win it out for them um, over DC. We haven't really seen DC uh, prove that. Um, while over the past three games they have won, um, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, progress from here. But um, I have MI, DC, um, RCB, all for the same reasons that you guys said. But um, I agree with the nation here. Um, Rajasthan Royals at number four. Um, I think being having the ability to bowl out um, a, a, like a DC a DC team um, for 160 is extremely good, and it's a matter of just um, sorting out their uh, batting lineup and having them score score a few runs to catch up. Um, the depth in their batting lineup, you have um, Tawadia with the pub all doing really well. Bowling really wins you championships, and I think that. Uh, if you look at MI, DC, and RCB, uh, their teams, the common denominator there is that they have extremely good bowling lineup. I, I'm, I'm going to have Rajasthan Royals at number four. So it'd be MI, DC, RCB, and RR. So yeah, those are my picks. Wow. Interesting. There are four people, three different picks for the 14. Mm -hmm. Kosh, what about you? Yeah, for me, I think um, I got the same top three as uh, the current standings. I think... Um, 
they're just those teams are just too good uh, right now. Their team balance is exceptional, and it really just comes down to the fourth pick. Um, I would actually go for CSK for that fourth playoff spot. I think um, the fact that they've made the playoffs every year is a testament to their leadership, and they've retained a large um, group of those core players that's uh, been with them for the past couple of years. And they had a really good win, uh, I think a pretty complete victory recently, uh, two days ago. Um, so I would, I would back them to clinch a playoff spot. Who are we picking for the Caps? Yeah. Um, could, could we, let's not go too far in a purple cap. Is there anyone who does not have Robata getting purple cap? <laughs> it's pretty obvious. No, I really think hard everyone knows Robata is getting the purple cap unless he gets injured. Right. Okay. Then okay, that's, even, that's even if he gets injured, he's getting it. Yeah. Even, yeah. <laughs> I'd feel like Robata can bowl badly and he'll still get two wickets. So it doesn't, he'll get, he'll get two for 40 instead of two for 20. So <laughs> there's no point even talking about Robata. Let's, let's do orange cap picks. Akash, why don't you start it off? Yeah, um, this is interesting. I think on current form, like regardless of the match situation, I think Kale Rahul, um, he's leading the pack right now. And I think I think he if he doesn't change his batting style too much, and I don't think he will because I think that he believes that he needs to set a solid platform at the top of the order for Kings 11. Um, with his current form, he's going to keep batting the way he is, and I'd, I'd pick him as my, uh, as my orange cap. I'll, I'll go ahead. I, I think if you look at the um, the current standings, yeah, Kings 11 look good, but there's also a lot of pressure on them because it's clear that their gameplay is not working right now. And as I touched on earlier, for someone who's currently aggregated the most runs in the tournament by a fair margin, Rahul is still striking under 140. And this is in addition to a pretty substantial 100 350s he's made. So he's got a lot of slow starts and there's going to be pressure on him to change his game style. I don't know how well that's going to work out for him. I'm not convinced it will. Hey, There's a lot of pressure. Overrated. Come on. <laughs> strike rate is overrated, Dinesh. Come on. We got this. Uh, win percentage is not. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, uh, so I, I think, personally, um, the guy I'm looking at is uh, Shreya Sire, who, um, despite not having had a ton of really big innings, he scored 250s this season in eight innings, but he still averages 43. Um, he's been a regular consistent contributor in the middle order. It's clearly working. He has been able to anchor innings and build off good starts from the top. Um, Delhi's got plenty of explosive batsmen, so it works for him to sort of fill this, this anchor role, but it's not as though he's any slouch in terms of strike rate. Um, he's shown a fair amount of six hitting prowess against the spinners in the middle orders. And the fact that Delhi is doing well bodes well for him to continue on with that style of play and let the team really craft an innings around him. So he's actually my pick here. So, uh, just to con- confirm, Shreya Sire is not out of any because yeah, he, he had a soldier injury today. No, nah, he's not reported. Not to the best of my knowledge. He, I okay. think he should be all right. The commentator said he just rolled over a ball or something. But Dinesh, I see your point about Shreya Sire, and I see your point about Rahul potentially his game changing not going off that well. I have two counters to that though. We've seen in the past, we've seen in IPL 2018, for example, that. Rahul can be one of the most explosive batsmen in the world and strike the ball extremely quickly. The fact that he's not doing it right now, I think, has more to do with the fact that Punjab has absolutely no depth. And so he knows if his wicket is lost, then the team is screwed. That said, he can easily play explosively. We've seen that happen before, and we've seen him do it well. And I think more to the point, even if it doesn't come off, Shreyas Iyer is is 99 runs behind him in the tables. 
Rahul has 387, Ayer has 298. There's six matches left for Ayer, seven for Rahul. Across those six matches for Ayer, even if Rahul gets a duck in the next game, which is doubtful, even if he gets a duck in the next game, he's still 99 runs ahead of Ayer. Do you really see Ayer averaging 16 more per innings than Rahul? I don't know. And that's why I think he's just banked too many runs at this point to ever relinquish the orange cap. So I think Rahul's my pick for the orange cap. Is he my pick for best batsman in the tournament? Not even close. But right now, he is the orange cap holder, and I think this is probably the way it's going to go. Incidentally, I think if I had to look at best batsman, I'd be looking at Ayer or Duplessis, but it's just me. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, I think I think Rahul will win the orange cap as well. I don't... Uh, he's just gonna. He just seems to score every game. Doesn't really fail at all. If I if I think there's one player that will catch up to that could catch up to him, it'll probably be David Warner. David Warner, we feel like he's not having a good IPL. We feel like he's not. He's been poor, but he's he's at fifth place and he's not even close to his best right now. He's averaging 35 with strike rate of around 120, and I think David Warner will start scoring a lot more and he's gonna get get. He's only gonna get better. I feel so. I think David Warner might contend with Kale Rahul. But I don't see anyone actually really surpassing Carol. Maybe my Gunner will. But yeah. Yeah, I think you guys summed it up perfectly. The pressure on Kale Rahul to retain his wicket, um, that, that really slows down his strike rate. But it makes him more careful as well. Um, I yeah. think the criticism will add pressure to it um, from outside media and people. But um, I feel like he doesn't feel the need to heed, it, heed any um, attention to it. But, um, yeah, I think it'll just be Kale Rahul um, having the orange cap. Um, yeah. But yeah, Rishi brought up a really good point about David Warner. I, I was actually going to say him like he he was a contender in my uh, orange cap, but um, yeah, three time winner too. That's good. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's hard it's to bet against Warner in the IPL. Very yeah. very hard. I think we can move on now to the twenty twenty one World T twenty. It's being held in India um, next year. Um, so yeah, I think we'll just go over our top four picks or just the who our best pick and like who's best suited for the, the, the setting as well as who's going to do well in the tournament. Um, I can start it off. I personally think England is going to do the best, um, having a pretty successful summer with uh, uh, playing against Australia with a, quite frankly, lackluster team without their star players um, coming out of red ball cricket. I think they played really well uh, taking the series 2-1 um, and Australia being the other contender in that, in that World Cup. Um, so yeah, I, that, I'm going with England. I mean, I've got to say, I like England's chances a lot, um, but I do think they need to have some more games with their best 11 in mind. Remember that England going into the 2019 World Cup cycle, what they had decided on is studying all the data, the average number of caps for the World Cup winning team, the average, winning, the average number of caps per person was 88. And so they got their key 11 playing together for four straight years, got a lot of stability. The biggest change they had was just swapping one opening batsman out for another, Johnny Bairstow for Alex Hales and Alex Hales for Jason Roy. So England don't have that stability this time. Now you can say, obviously, that, well, the, the limited overs players have all played together in ODIs, T20 still there, but roles are slightly different. What does Sam Billings do? Where does he come in? Uh, who are your openers going to be? Does Joss Butler still open with Jason Roy? Does Johnny Bear still go three? Um, you know, the only role that's really settled right now is Owen Morgan at number four. That's about it. Uh, does Tom Banton get a spot in the team? Um, so 
I don't quite know that England have enough time to properly gel with their first 11, especially in a post-COVID world. But I think they've got enough raw talent to where I would still pick them as finalists, at least. And they'd be my pick to win it. I think the second team that I would really watch out for is um, Australia because they just got so much talent and they've got pretty much every, a player for every hole in their team. Um, I think a lot of it will come down to whether Ashton Agar can properly serve as a number seven hitting and bowling spin as well because all-rounders that can bat in the lower middle order are worth their weight in golden T20 cricket. And then, of course, I think the last – basically, I think the finals will come down to a shootout between England and Australia or England and India. And for India, it really just depends on – how well Rishabh Pant can kick on in my mind and how well he can take that next up up from player with promise to a genuinely elite T20 player like we've seen in the IPL. I, I really have to, uh, I think actually made a lot of good points here. I'm going to say Australia actually edges it out for me a little bit. And a big part of that in, in my mind is we've been talking about flexibility a lot. And in my mind, Australia's top three is, pretty set. They have pedigree. They have incredible talent and incredible records. You can't really argue with Warner, Finch, and Smith. Now, it's when you look at the three below that, that things get kind of interesting. In my mind, in a T20, the people who are starting are probably Maxwell, Stoinis, and Kerry. Um, Stoinis, I've talked about this before, um, has had some of his best T20 success uh, at the top of the order in the BBL. Um, but particularly coming out of this IPL, he's shown that he's really, really taking to this, you know, lower order, being able to finish out a game and hit a brisk 40 and 200 strike rate. Um, you got another player who can be equally destructive in Maxwell. Kerry, I think, has really come into his own in the last year. I think if you'd asked me this time last year, I would have been a little bit doubtful if he was the right pick. I think he's really shown a lot of maturity with the bat and a lot of promise. Uh, Ashton Agar, I think, is wonderful balance for the team. He, he really, I think, glues it all together. Um, and they have incredible depth in their pace attack. I mean, Mitch Stark is potentially one of the greatest whitest, the greatest white ball bowlers of this generation. Um, Pat Cummins, we don't really need to say a whole lot about him. Adam Zampa, Kane Richardson, there's a lot of depth to their bowling. Uh, and I think there's a lot to like about the, the way uh, this Australian lineup looks. I'm actually going to go with Australia and India as my favorite. I'm going to go with Australia as my favorites, actually, and I think with India closely behind. Uh, mainly because I think Australia have the most settled T20 lineup at the moment. They seem to know who their top three is. They know who their middle order is. And their bowling attack, is, It's gonna. we know their bowling attack is going to be mostly Mitchell Starr, Cummins, Hazelwood, Kane Richardson, maybe. And we saw when they toured laughter before, obviously before Corona ended uh, international trade for a while, we saw the success of Adam Zappa and Ashton Agar. Obviously, Agar got a hat trick. Tampa got two, three wickets. They were doing a really good job in the middle order. And so if these two can step up, in, especially in Indian conditions, we saw Adam Zappa had an excellent World T20 in India in 2016. So if you can replicate that performance with good support from Agar, I think Australia stands a really good chance. Uh, my reason for not picking India or England, even though they might actually have more depth in their team because they don't seem to really know what their T20 lineup is. England have the problem of having too many players to pick from, which I think could be a detriment because they really don't know who they want to be opening. Because right now we saw they did Bearstow and Butler. They're still Roy. What are they going to do if Roy, Roy comes back? Will they stick with David Milan, who's now the number one T20 batsman for the international ranking? They might not even have a spot if Ben Stokes comes back. Is Joe Root going to be a contender for their team? 
we don't really know. We're only still a future in the E twenty two. Thing is, I, I even as as an English selector, if I was an English selector, I had no clue who I'd be picking that top six. So I think that will that could end up hurting England. We saw them when they entered the T on nineteen World Cup. They had a pretty settled uh, playing eleven, play, and then a couple back, couple able backups in case anything happened. That were ready for that event, and I don't know if they'll be fully prepared. And so I'm definitely going to Australia for now. And of course, New Zealand with dark horses as always. Of course, as expected. Alkash? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with South Africa for this year. Um, we've oh, seen. Oh, bold yeah. call. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, Quinton de Kock is a solid captaincy uh, prospect in that um, I think he's a young player, probably not going to be as burdened with the, the choker tag that's been associated with the team for so long. Um, that's that's one thing. And we know how destructive their bowling attack has been in uh, the two main fierce spearheads, uh, sorry, pace spearheads uh, in the IPL as well, along with Stain. Um, I think uh, on rather slow Indian pitches, I think their bowling, their fast bowling may be able to hustle some of the batsmen and um, provide like, you know, pace up front, pace of the death. And I think a lot of teams may struggle to get them away. Further, um, I think with Fox Duplessis, uh, Rassi van der Dusen, um, and David Miller, that makes up a pretty potent middle order. And um, I think, yeah, mainly because of their pace attack and you got uh, the potential for, I think, is De Villiers uh, making himself available for the T20 World Cup? Or we don't know just, yet. Uh, we don't know yet. Yeah, I think, yeah, I would, I would go with South Africa. I think they're, they have a lot of exciting young pace bowlers and um, on Indian pitches, I think it could be what they need to succeed. Who well, let me Africa? ask you something. Who would their spinner be? I'm not sure. Uh, so uh, here's retired now. So that was my question probably too. Shamsi. Yeah. It's probably Shamsi. Shamsi. Oh, Shamsi, Shamsi hasn't. Shamsi was bowling well in in that Australia series. He was restricting Warner. Yeah, but he I hasn't think. really done too much of to prove himself. He's had a couple good series, maybe, but it's not as if he's the type of dynamic spinner that you need to win you games you can go you can say that their pace attack with Norte and Rabada is going to win you games and that's all fair and good but we know any good team any good t20 team needs a quality spinner because there are going to be small grounds especially in India this is in Australia you're going to have small grounds in India you're going to have um potentially you know lineups that are excellent against pace and very weak against spin and unless you have a quality spinner I don't see how you're going to end up going very far in the tournament yeah, I I see that, but I wouldn't discount Shamsi. Yeah, Shamsi definitely has potential, and also um, on Indian pitches, and if they if the pitches do turn a lot, then I think that um, that decreases the gap between top tier spinners and someone like Shamsi who may not be as established. Because if the pitch is turning, you need to do less work, put less work and um, effort into into the deliveries, and that gap just becomes a little bit uh, less wide. So I'm thinking, especially because you're in India, it may not be as imperative to have such a strong spin attack, and pace might be the way to go. So what we got, Akash said, New- Akash is South Africa. I say Australia. Surge? Uh, England. Lakshya said England. And Dinesh said Australia. Okay, yep. so uh, there's a group of Indians. No betting on the homeboys. So we boxed yeah. the nation very well amongst us. <laughs> Nobody. Why does nobody think of India is India's favorites? Because I mean, they ha- they have all positions covered, right? They obviously have the wrist spinners. They have the best T20 bowler in the world in Jasprit Bumrah. 
They've got they've got so a variety of things. I know what you're saying about things being settled with India, but I don't. I, I think they have options for every slot, but they don't have a settled eleven. And the Kuldeep question yep. is really going to hang over them. Who is Kuldeep Yadav for India? Is he that bowler that we saw who was elite between 2017, 2018, 2019, or is he that recent bowler that can't even crack the KKR lineup? You know the. That's another question. That's your premier worst spinner. Now, Chahal can be your lead spinner. Sure, he's great. But the fact remains, you don't know really what Rishabh Pant's role is still. You haven't figured that out. Um, there's a question about how well the rest of the lineup is. You still got a couple holes in the middle order to fill and no clear candidate that's running away with it. You need stability in your team. Every question we brought up with England, what's the first 11 like? What's these batsmen's roles? All of that applies to India too. And I think England actually has slightly more ready-made talent ready to go. And I think there's just too little time for India to plug in someone and see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I think India actually – the thing is India India is pretty clear. When they play bilateral series, they're going to experiment with their batting lineup a lot. Like I wouldn't say it's not so. They seem to have identified that when it comes to the openers, it's going to be the one, K.O. Rahul and Roy Sharma will be the three openers they'll be picking. Middle order was obviously going to have Kohli. And then they seem to be pretty sell on Shreyas Iyer, Rishabh Pant, and Manish Pandey being their core indie batsmen. Obviously, they played a lot of T20s where Hardik Pandey was injured. So he'll obviously slot into the team as well. So I think India India have identified 15 and 16 players for a world T20 squad right now. And I think looking at the fact that they beat New Zealand in a New Zealand 5-0 in a T20 series shows that they're de- we, they definitely can't be discounted. Especially when you have, especially when you have players of Kohli, Rohit, Bumrah in their team, Hardik Pandey is just going to make that team even better. They have a variety of fast bowlers. I think their spin attack is going to be Chahal and Jadeja. I don't think Kohli will be. Kohli might be the third spinner. I mean, you you say five, you say five zero. It was a great series, but I mean, a bunch of those matches were super overs, and they came down to the line, and it was like it, it wasn't a runaway game. Yeah, it wasn't a runaway, but and. And no one really brought up New Zealand as uh, like leading or, or top runners for this tournament. And to beat them, I, I get 5-0 is a, a large margin, but to beat them by very small margins individually throughout the games, um, I, it just shows that there is some more work to do for India. Yeah, I didn't yeah. pick New Zealand simply because of, I don't, I think New Zealand are like lacking a bit in death bowling. Uh, we saw that in the Super Bowl. We saw Tim Southey, uh completely fail in delivering those death throwers and New Zealand's finishing in that series was really weak. They had, they didn't have the hardest of situations and I feel like they're a bit over-reliant on uh, Munro and Gupta to get them to good starts. Cade Williamson's T20, international T20 record is good, but it's not, it's not up to what he does in IPL or in the other formats. And they just have, I just don't know who their middle order will really be. I do. I still think, I, I, think big, I still think they'll be in the semifinals though. I think a big X factor for New Zealand is going to be how much Lockie Ferguson fires. If they can get him to perform reliably, like in in a T20 tournament, express pace, serious talent. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he could be a big X factor for them and, and help solve the death bowling problem. Uh, Bolt and Ferguson on the back end is no joke. But there's also uh, in the 2016 World T20, which is played in India, Sodhi, Ish Sodhi and Mitchell Sander were the standout spinners for New Zealand. Sander was the, I think, the leading wicket ticker up that tournament. If they can have similar tournaments, then, yeah, New Zealand are definitely a top four contender and maybe even a, a, a winner contender as well. But, yeah, that's if that spin yep. attack performs like it did five years before. 
Santner is very quietly one of the most impressive T20 players out there yeah, right now. Yeah, for sure. He is, but his value is not really in his batting and it's not in his bowling. It's the fact that he does both at a good enough level to warrant a spot at the first 11, so he gives you an extra player. I think that's the key with a lot of these teams. You've got to have really good all-rounders. England have that. They have players that can bat, players that can bowl. Archer's no slouch with the bat. Neither is Jordan. Neither is Willie. Um, pretty much every player there can do something. Um, Australia, you have Maxwell, you have Agar, you have Stoinis. Um, India has Hardik, of course, and I, I tend to think they need one other good all-rounder to really kick on. New Zealand, obviously, for fast-playing honors, they obviously have Colin DeGrandome, who has the highest strike rate in international T20 cricket. I, so, I don't quite know how he's so good. He bowls so slow, and I think that's the magic of it. Oh, I don't think his bowling is uh, effective at T20. He's not used much. He's used more in limited overs and ODIs and test bet. As a batsman, he's one of New Zealand's actually main batsmen in T20 cricket. And he yeah, no, I was just meaning the fact that he can still be used as an effective bowler in T20s is still kind of amazing to me. Yeah, and New Zealand also have a very talented keeper, Tom Seifert. He only plays T20 at the moment for New Zealand, but I think he's a special talent and. Yeah, could de- they could definitely look at him. But yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, those are those are picks for the World T Twenty coming up in twenty twenty one. But as Akash mentioned, South Africa on this end, he seems pretty confident that they're settled for their T Twenty and they can win this. But on the Test end, they're gonna have some issues um, with with their upcoming Test captain. Um, who do you guys think the next Test captain that should be, or who or who they would pick? That position. I think, in my mind, if you had to pick someone on current merits, Dean Elgar kind of walks into it for me. Uh, Elgar has really been a mainstay of the batting lineup. He's been, you know, he's he's kind of been their wall. You know, the, the guy who will get in there and not give up on a game. Um, and I think the sort of spirit he shows every time he bats is an indispensable quality for a captain to keep his team in the game. That's really important. Elgar is also going on 34 right now. Um, and if they want to pick someone who's going to do this job for five, six years, Elgar's not the guy. Um, if we're talking about recovering from what has felt for a little bit like a, a pretty rough spot for South African cricket, I, I believe he's one of the people who can pull that out. But if you're looking for a more long-term prospect, the two names that come to mind for me are Aiden Markram, who has, you know, he's he's been talked about a lot. He's obviously a very seriously talented batsman. He's got a good record. Um and he's young, he's 26, uh, and he's signaled that he is interested in doing it. I think uh, a fit Markram, especially post-Elgar retirement, is a player who is pretty much undroppable, which is something really important in a captain, in my opinion. And the other guy, speaking of undroppability, I don't know if he signaled any interest in it, but uh, for what it's worth, when South Africa had the uh, exhibition three-team match a couple months ago, he was one of the three captains for this, in addition to A.B. de Villiers and Quinton de Kock. Uh, Robata. Um, again, an on, an, a fit Robata is as close to undroppable as it gets for South African cricket. He's also on the younger side. He's 25. And if he has any sort of interest in the job, I think he could actually be a fantastic choice. I don't know if he's, I don't think he's been talked about as much as Mark Rund did. I think he could be. I one think the reason choice. South Africa will never pick Robata as captain is he gets bit, too many one match bans. <laughs> he gets into too much. He gets into too many. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I, have, I have no problem getting bats and send-offs, but when he gets caught as much as him, he needs to be more careful, and I don't think South Africa will be willing to give him captaincy for that because of that. They can't have their captain being banned every time he gets a wicket. Um, but yeah, no, but yeah no, Dinesh, I'm, I'm going to hop off what you said. Yeah, uh, 
the key thing of picking a captain is you have to pick usually we usually the batsman usually pick as a bats as a captain and usually as a you have to pick a player that's actually going to be in the playing eleven every time. And the only two real options at the moment that are settled in the South African buying lineup are Quinn DeCock and uh, Dean Elgar. And South Africa have already announced, Graham Smith already said, DeCock will not be the test captain. There's no way they're going to burn him with all three formats where you're keeping an opening to batting in limited overs. So I feel like the best thing South Africa can do is right now in this transition phase, give Dean Elgar the captaincy. He might not be the best captain because he doesn't have too much experience and he doesn't seem to be the guy who would strive for captaincy. He's more of a quiet, quieter figure. But give it the captaincy for a couple of years while and help nurture a player like Aiden Markham. Aiden Markham hasn't spoken about as a future captain of South Africa ever since he's started playing for South Africa. However, he's had a little he had a little bit of a form draw in 2019. He obviously got dropped after scoring a pair against India. And so punched one, the wall, broke his hand also. Yeah. So he's not ready yet because he needs to first score runs and get into the team. But I think he's definitely a future captain contender. I wouldn't mind South Africa doing like Dean Elgar for a couple of years just as an interim captain and then moving on to Aiden Markham once he's settled into the team. If not Aiden Markham, maybe in Rossi Van Dersen, who has shown great responsibility in the 2019 World Cup and in his first test series against England. But again, I wouldn't want to pick a captain who's only played for a year. One more interesting Yeah, Rossi's a great call. Like, the guy's seriously talented. Um, and, and yeah, I, I agree that Elgar is – he's a good guy to steady yeah. the ship. And the way he bats and all, I feel like if him as captain, that really motivates South Africa to really just grind it out, stick in, stick there while playing. Um, another person that actually put his name up for captaincy is Keisha Maharaj. If you, if you guys caught that uh, a few months ago, he actually put his name down, which is an interesting choice because normally a bowler is not named as captain, and in South Africa, normally in South Africa is one of the places where spin bowlers just not even considered to be equals to a pace bowler. So. Look, I that's think... a very interesting thought because Keisha Mahar sometimes has to get dropped because simply because there's no need to play a spinner on South African conditions. But, I thought, but he yeah. is always going to be the South Africa's first choice spinner. So what do you guys think about that? I think there's a danger here in picking Keisha Maharaj as a captain uh, in that you're right that there's times when the conditions are going to necessitate a spinner not playing and you picking four or five pacers. But that's the reason I would shy away from Maharaj as a captain. But I actually disagree with all of you guys. My captain is going to be Temba Bavuma. And this is a bit of a controversial pick because it's questionable as to whether he gets in the 11. But I think my reasons for this go a little bit beyond just the cricket here. Um, this is a part where, you know, it's, it's a good question to ask about South Africa's transformations, um, how far they've come as a country, and what they need to do. Dean Elgar, on the face of it, is everything you want in a captain uh, in terms of stability in the team, uh, seniority, respect. No one really knows how he is tactically. He hasn't had too much experience, but in terms of commanding respect from the dressing room, he certainly does that, and he merits his place as one of South Africa's mainstays. But my reason for picking Bavuma comes for the following. Number one, he has had captaincy experience, and he's done quite well with it. It's not as if he's a slouch there. Number two, everyone in the South African setup acknowledges him as one of the best talents that they've had in recent times. Now, he hasn't been able to put it together for one reason or another, but I'm not quite sure of late that he's had the backing that he needs in his role. He's batted on some very tough pitches. He's had a couple of stretches of lean runs of form, but no player has ever been insulated from that. 
When Bavuma ended up getting dropped, he went back to first-class cricket, scored 180, and then got recalled. Didn't do too badly compared to the rest of the lineup either when he came back. So on form, I happen to think that Bavuma's best years are ahead of him, and if you back him, he will do well. Now for the other parts of it, I think South Africa for a long time has tended to stay away from this question of race and this question of representation. And there's no question that, you know, they've had a couple issues addressing this. Sometimes they go towards we're going to have this quota of six players of color, two black Africans in every single match. You saw this in 2015 when Vernon Philander was picked over Kyle Abbott with somewhat disastrous results. Um, but you've also seen the flip side of it where the pipeline has grown to be much more sustainable in South Africa as the 40% of cricketers at the under 19 level, I think reading a stat, 40% of these cricketers, the under 19 level were players of color, but less than 20 of them are players of color. When it came to the actual senior level at one point, they were all falling through the cracks by forcing these transformation targets in, they were able to get a lot more talent coming through because biases was being addressed, real progress was being made, um, representation was being shown. I think picking Bavuma as a captain shows a few things. Firstly, it shows that you're not scared to make a bold call and back someone who's had experience captaining and captaining well. And it also shows that you're backing your players of color and that you're giving them the security and the boost needed to properly bring about that change in South African cricket that seems to be lacking still. I think when you're trying to get the system to work towards you for so long and it evidently isn't working, at some point you have to work towards the system yourself. And I think picking Bavuma as a captain would go a long way towards doing that. South Africa is a nation that's 77% black. Bavuma on the merits deserves it just as much as Aiden Markram. He's had better form than men recently. If you pick it to Dean, with Dean Elgar, no harm, no foul. Best choice for the job. But if you're even thinking about Aiden Markram as captain, I think Temba Bavuma has got to leapfrog him in the lineup, given his captaincy pedigree, given his experience, given that his form is the same, and given South Africa's demographics. I just don't see how you can pick Aiden Markham over Temba Bavuma. I think Aiden Markham has more captaincy experience. He's an under-19 under captain. He's ca captains his... Uh, Bavuma's captain is first-class side also. Because Mark Markham has been... Looked at his side. Marco was named captain, remember, against India in the 2018. He'd only been playing uh, international game for three, yeah, four it months. It was a so. disaster then. I wouldn't say it was a disaster. I'd say the team, they, all the players were injured. So, and India's team was just at the top of their game there. Right, so. sure. But then if people, a lot of people call Bavuma's form a disaster at the same time when the entire team collapsed around him, I guess is my point that I think double standards have historically been applied to a lot of these black African players for a long time to where they don't properly get their chances at an equal rate. And I think a lot of why Aiden Markram has gotten these chances because he's been backed rightly. And I think the time has come to back Bavuma as well. I definitely be I think it really depends. I think it's probably fair to say that Bavuma's I think it's probably fair to say that Bavuma's form has been pretty under the gun compared to some other players following his appointment as vice captain. I think if that hadn't been the case, there wouldn't have been yeah. so much scrutiny on him. So I, I think, think another good I think problem Bavuma had was uh, when he was in, when he came out and he was do, being called a special talent, he had too many 50s and only had one century. And everyone wanted, everyone seemed to fixate on his lack of centuries, which, and obviously, if he converted a few more, we wouldn't be having those conversations. His average would at least be five points, five runs higher. 
So I think that's another thing with Temavu. But he's always been a consistent run scorer. But if you can just if he got a couple more of those starts into hundreds, I think we would. I think he'd be a settled player in this battle. Like we would not be having these combos that Saffron Cricket have been having about Bavuma. I definitely endorse that Bavuma should be in the playing eleven always, and that he's one of Africa's ta- most talented batsmen. But I'm not sure about that. Yeah, yeah if you look at their team, um, let's assume that based off their transformation targets, they're going to be playing two black Africans every match. Um, and that sure. means that you're going to have Rabada, right? And probably Philander as well. So no, Philander's retired. Philander's retired. Lungi Nagidi. Lungi Nagidi would probably be getting back in the team. Right. So right. But it's not a hard cap of maximum two black players. It's at least two black players. Yeah, exactly. But they the can... question is, is Abuma good enough to make to make it in the team uh, without that transformation target? I think so. I think I he's think definitely so. good enough. Uh, so South Africa, South Africa right now, they have three opening options, uh, two opening options alongside uh, Aiden, uh, alongside Dean Elgar. They have Aiden Markham, obviously. Then they had uh, T- Pieter Milan, who debuted against England. And then in the middle order, you have Russ- Russi Van Dersen. You have Temba Babuma as an option. Uh Subraya Subraya Hamza and Faftopusi is still playing Tesri even though he's not captain. So there obviously there's four spots in that for three from three, four, five, six, and then Dakok will obviously be the waykeeper. So I definitely think Bavuma will probably merit only one of them will not be playing out of all the bats I just mentioned. So I'm pretty sure Bavuma will probably merit as a spot on the team. I, I think so if you I ask me to pick this... the ideal like top five right now, it's you're looking Elgar, Markram, Bavuma, Duplessis. And uh, Rassi. I think those so five only, are pretty Yeah, sad. so only the hum, Hamza, will be, no, Hamza will be the spare batsman then. And then Peter Milan, the backup opener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a I, I, I agree that. Top five. I agree the way, thing, the way things exist now, I think. I think Babu must have walked into the team. I, I think when it comes to transformation, because so of transformation, also... they'll have Rabada, they'll have Nagiri, oh, they'll have Maharaj. So I think because there's a transformation target of colored players and there's one of black players. So. Nagidi and Roboto should be first choice players in that playing eleven, anyways. Yeah, I agree with three. that. Yeah. Yeah, the thing with Bavuma though is he still averages thirty, like around thirty after like forty matches. So that is, you know, kind of not what you want to see in a captaincy prospect. It's and, not twenty ten though. Um, averaging thirty in South Africa is obviously not ideal, but it's much different than averaging thirty in India or something like that. Bavuma's batted on some terribly tough surfaces. And also, I just think he hasn't really been backed and he went through a little lean run of form and that, that's a result of it. I think looking at his median score might be more instructive. If we can pull that up somehow next podcast or something, we can revisit it maybe. Yeah, I think it would go a long way in, in uh, really diversifying the sport in South Africa for them to have uh, Bavuma be the test captain. I just... And I feel like they're still probably going to go with uh, Elgar or Markram simply because, like, you know, with uh, Graham Smith, right? He was incredibly young when he took on the captaincy and he led the team for, for many years. Um, yeah. I feel like South Africa may be trying to go down that route with Markram as well. But um, I do agree that Bobo I genuinely think if you're going to try and replicate the Graham Smith captaincy, you're yeah, always going to be That's a special player, and he has one special players. Oh. There's no Jock Callison in, in Graham Smith's team. There's no Sean Pollock, Dale Stain, right? This is a completely yeah. different team. But obviously, yeah. it was a brave decision. There's a brave decision. And, and I'm not trying Africa to annoy, appoint Graham Smith, but whether that'll just replicate it, that will work again, we don't know. Yeah. Dean Elgar is definitely the safety option here. He's the yeah. most settled player in the batting lineup. So I'm. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, 
South African cricket is in some amount of chaos right now. And if Elgar takes the reins for a year, two years, and steadies the ship, yeah. I think they'll be better. Off for it. The question that is, that would give Baruma the chance to kind of grow into his role as you know maybe vice captain, um, and give him you know a really nice you know situation for him to kind of prove his credentials at the test level too. Yeah, definitely. I think this all warrants the question of how does captaincy affect the form of a player? Um, I think the, the prime example is Joe Root. Um, form has significantly dropped ever since he took on captaincy. And do you think that would be the case with Dean Elgar? And would it be better to give it to Bovuma? Or would Dean Elgar be able to bear the brunt of this and let other players like Markham come up and settle, settle we don't know until, and then take on? I don't know. So you get to I, think, I think, like I said, uh, yeah, we're never going to know. I, I do think Elgar's never say die attitude that's very evident in his batting is, is you know, I think he has a lot of mental strength, and I think that is important for a captain to not let the pressure of captaincy affect their batting form. I think, I, I don't think exactly. So he'd have that's issues. Exactly if, if my were, thoughts were, if if I were a betting man, I yeah. would say he probably will be fine. Right. So that's what my thoughts were, 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 and hence the reason I'm going with Elgar and allowing Markram to, and or or Bovuma to come up and uh, find their place in the team, and then take the time to. Um, I, think, that role I think it was smart for South Africa to at least um, say Quentin de Cox should not be captain. That would be way too much on one player. Yeah, but that was a good conversation, guys. Uh, glad Akash you could join. We should definitely have you more often. Just join whenever you can. But um, hope everyone enjoyed listening. Um, again, as usual, just give us um, topics, ideas, and stuff like that, and we'll we'll um, definitely entertain them. But yeah, hope you guys enjoyed. Look forward to next week or, or next time we record. And um, yeah, thanks for hosting, Serge. Fun.